Now, about this time um, every year as we were growing up, my mom would be busy baking um, all the things that she would need for Christmas as company would come over, and she'd put it into those old ice cream buckets, um, and, and then she would gather my brothers and I, and she would look at us and say, do not eat these. These are for the guests. And so there was kind of a threat there. And she would spend a lot of time getting things ready for the company that would come over during Christmas. Now, what happens in your house when, when you have company that is going to come? Like most of us will be like, oh man, I guess I got to clean. And so we, we clean the house. We take all the clutter that's just kind of gotten piled different places. We hide it away or we shove it into a closet. So it gives the impression that we're, we're neat, we're organized, we're not really as messy as we actually are. Maybe you, um, you, you get out the china, like the, 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 the china that only comes out once a year, and you get that ready, it's put on the place, and you get the cutlery, you polish it up, and you want to impress the people that are coming over. Maybe you get out special hand towels for the bathrooms that only come for our company, and, and they're white, and they're nice, and so you want to impress people. Now, like, if it's, it's company coming over for the first time, you, you go all out. If it's like people that are coming over all the time, you're just like, whatever, they know who I am, and you kind of leave it as it is. But a lot of us will spend time getting ready, preparing for company to come. Now, as God was preparing to send his son into the world, he sent someone ahead to get things ready. Like Old Testament prophets prophesied that before the Messiah came, there would be a messenger sent by God to get things ready. Now, one of these prophets is the prophet Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, It's written, see, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Now, last week, uh, we we looked at this. We, We said God could work in human history without giving any advance notice of his plans. He could just be kind of doing his thing and nobody would know. But often what God does through the prophets is he, he chooses to announce his plans for two reasons. So that we might be aware of their importance and that we might prepare ourselves accordingly. And so God, God promises that a forerunner to the Messiah is going to be on the scenes before the Messiah actually comes. And so many people are, are watching for this, this, this forerunner, this guy who's going to show up before the Messiah comes. Why? Because for the Jewish people, when the Messiah comes, that's when things are going to be really good for them. This Messiah would be kind of like this, this military commander who was going to do some amazing things. He would get rid of the Jewish people's enemies. They'd be delivered. He'd usher in a time of peace. He would initiate this kingdom that, that would be like back in Israel's heyday under King David and King Solomon when they were at the top. And so they're looking forward to this Messiah coming and delivering on all of these expectations and promises. Now, let's, let's put ourselves in their shoes. Like if God promised us that there's going to be a Canadian prime minister that will show up on the scenes one day, and he, this, this prime minister, he's going to give a stable economy, there's going to be prosperity, there's going to be peace, there's going to be justice, there's going to be security. Canada will be the greatest nation in the world when this guy shows up. We'd be like, okay, when is the election? When do we get to vote this guy in? We'd be looking expectantly for this prime minister to come. And so this is, this is what the Jewish people are doing. They're waiting for the messenger to come who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now it's been 400 years where we're kind of picking up today and God's prophets have gone silent. Like the, the Jewish people haven't heard anything from God for, 
for four centuries. Now, 400 years, that's, that's twice the amount, more than twice the amount of time that Canada has been a nation. And so if you don't hear from God for 400 years and you're used to hearing from him and he's, he's told you something's going to happen, you might start kind of giving up hope. You, you might go like, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. But then, in AD 27 or 28, a strangely dressed man appeared in the wilderness near the southern end of the Jordan River. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 4. And so Mark writes, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. So, like, imagine we hear that there's a guy out in the forest, like out in the wilderness of past Timberly or, or something like that, and he's wearing a beaver-haired jacket. He's got a leather belt tied around his waist. You hear that he eats June bugs and drinks maple syrup for his diet. And people are like, man, this guy's preaching some messages. Like, would you be like, man, I gotta go check what that guy has to say out. It's gonna be life-changing. No, like, you hear that, you're gonna be like, that guy's crazy. You'd write him off. You wouldn't go out and check him out. But here the Jewish people are super excited to see this John, John the Baptist, on the scenes. It's creating a lot of excitement amongst the Jewish people. That's so why. Why? Like Mark says, all the, the countryside is going to see him. All the people of, of Jerusalem are going to see John the Baptist. So why is he such a big deal? Well, it's because John's fashion choices are very similar to one of Israel's greatest prophets, the prophet Elijah. And so since it's, it's prophesied that, that one day Elijah's going to return, is it possible that this John guy out in the wilderness preaching is the returning Elijah who would appear before the Messiah shows up? And John's preaching, it strengthens these speculations even more because he preaches a message of judgment and repentance, just like the Old Testament prophets did. So everybody's going, is this John... The, the one prophesied about, the, the, the returning Elijah. Now, the Apostle John, not John the Baptist that we're talking about, but John who was uh, in Jesus' inner circle of three, he writes this in John chapter 1, verse 6 to 9. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so John is going, this John the Baptist is the, the, the prophesied um, forerunner to the Messiah. In Mark chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus is saying, yeah, John the Baptist is this Elijah-type figure who would show up before the Messiah. Now John's preaching he is, is primarily addressed to the Jewish people. And those who accepted John's message are, are being baptized. Now, baptism is not something that's new to the Jewish people. But baptism, for, for them, it was, if you were not Jewish, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to convert to the Jewish faith, if you were a proselyte, then part of that is you would be baptized kind of as, as this thing where you're washing away your former life. And so baptism was kind of this initiation for those who wanted to become Jewish. But if you were born Jewish, like, man, you don't need to be baptized because you, you you're automatically in there. 
But here's the thing. John's asking Jewish people to submit to something that they believed that only the Gentile people had to do. And so John's saying simply to be Jewish doesn't mean you're actually a member of God's chosen people. John rejects this idea that somebody would enjoy all the covenant promises of God that that he made to Abraham simply because you can trace your ancestry back to Abraham. And so in in preaching judgment and repentance, John's saying only those who are repentant will actually enjoy God's favor. Only those who are repentant are going to enter into the, the kingdom of heaven. Now, Let's bring this today to today. Um, we live in a time where there's a lot of people who are moralistic deists. And no, you don't hear people going around going like, I'm a moralistic deist, or like, I believe in moralistic deism. But what this is, what this belief says essentially is, if you're good enough, God will love you, and God will bless you. And a common belief in our culture would go like this. If there is a heaven, pretty much everybody's going to get in there, as long as you're not really terrible, like really terrible, like a, a Hitler type guy or a terrorist like Osama bin Laden was, like most people will, will, will get there. That's kind of the thinking that, that goes on. Now, many people would go, I've played by God's rules, or I've, I've done a decent job with it. I'm not that great, or at least my intentions were good to play by God's rules. So they think getting into heaven is, is pretty much secured that they're going to enjoy God's favor. But like this, this kind of belief even kind of finds its way into churches. You, you will find that there's people within churches, who, if you ask them, like, why, why are you going to heaven? They would go, well, I've gone to church all my life. I, I, I didn't sleep around before I got married. I've never been high. I've never been drunk. I didn't listen to secular music, only Christian music for me. So man, I think I, I kind of have earned my way into heaven. Now, here's the thing. Like, John's preaching a message of judgment. And, and what he's doing is, is making people realize that they're guilty. Like, parents, when you have a, a situation to deal with with your kids, like one hits the other or something, and you go, why'd you do that? What do they say? He hit me first. Or they started it. Or maybe it's like, I was pressured into doing it by my friends. And so what they're trying to do is take the guilt, the blame off themselves and put it onto somebody else. And they're going like, man, I, yeah, I might be a bit guilty, but they're actually guiltier than I am. And they're trying to prove that there's somebody deserving of punishment more than them. And, and kind of like by their standards, they're going, I'm not that guilty. I'm not that bad. Now, as a parent, what would you say? It's like, yeah, they shouldn't have done that, but you're still guilty. It doesn't matter what your standards are. My standards say you're guilty. Like, my house, my rules. Now, God doesn't say this in in his word, but this idea is here. It's like God's creation, God's rules. And so we don't get measured by any standards that we come up with, any standards that we create, but by the standards God gives us. And so if we were to compare ourselves to God's standards, we'd quickly realize we're not as sinless or, or perfect as we might believe. Like if you take the Ten Commandments and run them as a test, like none of us are going to pass that one. We're all going to fail that test. And so you have lied. Yep, we have. You, you've coveted. You've looked at what other people have and you thought you've deserved it. 
And some of us might go, okay, those, those are kind of the minor ones, but like there's some big ones there. I'm not guilty of those ones. I've never murdered anybody. But then Jesus comes along and, and says like, man, if you've had hatred in your heart towards somebody, you are guilty of, of, of murder. And there, there's things where like you've, you've, you've looked at another person lustfully, somebody who's not your spouse, which Jesus would say is adultery. And some of us go, no. I'm not guilty of adultery, not me. But this can look different for different people. Like, like maybe, maybe for women, it might be kind of more in the romantic sense. Like you're looking at a, a, a man, you're going, man, I wish he was my husband. And you're watching those, those Hallmark Christmas movies and that guy is perfect and mm, like, oh, that is a man. Now, mind you, they're made up. They're not, they're not real, but it's like, man, oh, yes. Now, for men, it would be different. Um, and I can't speak for a woman, but for, for men, it would be like you look at somebody who's not your spouse and you're like, hmm. And your mind might go somewhere that you don't want to say. I'm just going to kind of stop there for now. Now, like, I don't want husbands and wives looking at each other going like, you pig, you're disgusting. I can't believe you. Like, I'm not trying to start fights here this morning, but just help us realize we're all guilty. We're all sinners. Now, it's not just that we don't even like, you might go, and I don't care about God's standards, but like, I'll, I'll go with this one. You don't even live up to your own standards for yourself. Like how many of us back 12 months ago, beginning of the year, we're going, I'm going to eat right and I'm going to exercise. 2021 is going to be my year. 12 months later, like how many of us are like, yeah, I lived up to my expectations perfectly. Now, 2021 hasn't been a, a great year, so I can understand like indulging in the food a little bit more. But here's the thing, like you, you probably didn't live up to your expectations there. You let yourself down. Maybe you're like, I'm not going to be as angry of a person moving forward. And then like, it's not long before you find yourself, you're like, you're actually angry. Something sets you off and, and you don't live up to your standards there. And so we disappoint ourselves constantly by not living up to our own standards and so most of us, if we were to stand before God with our spiritual resume in hand and having to plead our case for heaven, we probably wouldn't feel that confident, probably wouldn't feel that comfortable. And, and it's, it's not that we, we just like our sin is we, we make mistakes and we slip up here and there. Like we, we do this deliberately. Like there's areas in our lives where, where God's word is blatantly clear about how we're to live and we look at what God says, and we're like, oh, I don't really like that. That doesn't really work for me. And so in this area of my life, God, I, I'm going to take you off the throne, put you over here. I'm just going to step up here. And in this area of my, my life, I'm going to do what I think is best. And, and it, when we do this, what we're essentially saying to God is this. When it comes to this area of my life, I think I make a better God than you do. I think I know better than you do, God which is what is called idolatry. It's, it's kind of worshiping yourself. It's worshiping your intellect, your knowledge. You break the first commandment in doing this. And so this is kind of John's judgment portion, something like that, that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's standard. Like, you're not as awesome as you may think that you are. And you don't deserve an award for how you've lived, but actually punishment. That, that, that we're sinners and, and sin deserves punishment, which scripture would say is separation from God and his goodness and his life, which is, is called hell. 
And, and so this is where scripture kind of brings us. Now, many Jewish people would go, regardless of their behavior, they thought they had nothing to fear simply because they were descendants of Abraham. And John's message would have been radical as he's calling the people of Israel to recognize that, that your, your, your ancestry, that's not enough to keep you in God's favor. Now for us today, we have to realize that there's nothing that's going on in our lives that is going to earn God's favor. Nobody's getting into heaven because they're not as guilty as somebody else. Nobody's getting into heaven because of their stellar um, church attendance record or their behavior has been pretty good. Now, like, aren't you glad you came this morning? Like, that's just so encouraging. I know, like, you must feel edified right now. But John's message, while it was one of judgment, it wasn't all judgment. Mark chapter 1, verse 7, it says, John proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so John's mission is to prepare people for the arrival of the Messiah. And he's not preparing beds, he's not preparing food, he's preparing people's hearts. And so John's calling people to repent, to leave behind their sin, to turn back to God so that when the Messiah appears, that, that they'd be ready, that they'd, they'd be willing to accept him and his kingdom. John is preparing people by helping them get their hearts ready. He helps them to see themselves as they really are. He calls them to remove any obstacles that are in their lives that might prevent them from accepting the Savior. And he's calling them to repentance. Now, repentance, simply put, is this. A deliberate turning from sin to righteousness. Repentance, it's not just changing your opinion about something. Repentance isn't simply just feeling bad, but it's, it's a changing of how we live. It's, it's going, okay, I'm going to stop doing what I think is best in this area. I'm going to look at what your word says, God, and we do, with, we do what God's word says. We do what God wants in our lives. That's what repentance is. It's not a one-time thing, but it's an ongoing, everyday thing. That we, we wake up in the morning, and we, we look, and we go, okay, is there anything in my life that is coming between me and Jesus? Is there anything in my life that's coming between what, what God wants? And it could be a, a, a habit, it could be um, a hobby, it could be a relationship. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, that's this, in this text, Jesus says, like, if something's causing you to sin, cut off your, your right hand. It's better to go into eternal life missing your right hand than to go kind of in, into hell with both of them. Gouge out your eye if it's causing you to sin. It's better to go into eternal life missing an eye than it is to go into hell with both eyes. And so Jesus is going, like, don't play with these things. Cut them out of your life because they could have eternal implications. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, like, put these things to death. He's like, don't play with them. Don't treat them as like this cute little hobby. You've got to put them to death. Because again, these things can have eternal implications. This is why we must be repenting and turning to God constantly. Now, John's ministry is not an end in itself. He, he's predicting one who's coming, whose status is going to make him see kind of like, seem like a lowly slave in comparison. And this is significant. Because if, if you look at the text, what, what's happening? 
Like everybody in the countryside, all of Jerusalem, coming out to hear John preach. The crowds are coming, and he's experiencing success because he's performing, or his disciples and him are performing a lot of baptisms. And we go, man, John is killing it. Like he's got this growing ministry. And it would be easy for that to go to John's head, to start going, man, I'm, I'm something. I'm, I'm pretty impressive. But John goes, like, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. And for us, like, what does that mean? Well, untying a, a person's sandal, that was the job for the lowest servant in the house. Like, nobody wanted that job because, like, they're wearing sandals, they're walking around, it's hot, their feet are disgusting, and they probably smell. And so it's like, it's not a job anybody wants. And John's going, like, I'm not even worthy, not even worthy to do that. And what John's kind of saying is this, like, my ministry... It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. John's ministry was all about Jesus. I want to kind of stop here for a second because I know we've got some people who are checking HCC out going, okay, is this a church I'd want to call home? I, I know we have people who are checking us out online going, is this a place that I'd, I want to be a part of? And we're glad that you're checking us out. Um, we, we're, we love that you're here. Now, I also recognize that we're not going to be the church for everyone. Um, you might be going, nah, I, I need something else. Now, here's what my um, encouragement would be. If you're going to look for another church, find one that is all about Jesus, the, the, the biblical Jesus. Because there's, there's lots of churches out there, but not every church is all about Jesus. There's churches out there that, that they're about things that aren't necessarily bad, but they're not about what the church is supposed to be about. Instead of being about the gospel, they're about social justice. Not a bad thing, but that's not what the church is supposed to be about. There's churches out there that are about kind of like more like philanthropy instead of preaching the gospel. There, there's churches out there that instead of calling sinners to repentance, instead they preach a, a gospel that says, you know what, you're awesome. And God's here to make you more awesome. And God's going to make your kingdom great. There are churches out there that become a platform for some guy to build his brand and his empire, and it's not hard to see, like if you listen to the preaching and kind of what's taking place there, it's actually more about this guy than it is about Jesus Christ. And so that's my encouragement. Like, if you're looking for a church, find a church that is all about Jesus, the Jesus that you read in the Gospels and in Scripture. Now, why does John make this all about Jesus? Well, he kind of says it there. Because Jesus is the only one who baptizes with this Holy Spirit. Like Israel's prophets, they, they longed for the Messiah's arrival because they knew that it's going to change the people's relationship with God. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, it says, After this, I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, it says, I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. Now in Acts chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Peter, he preaches a sermon. And this happens on the day of Pentecost. Jesus has been crucified, but he's been resurrected. He's ascended back into heaven. And Jesus said, like, wait in Jerusalem because 
the Spirit's going to come. And the Spirit comes upon them, uh, upon the apostles, those gathered. Peter preaches this sermon um, in which he actually references Joel chapter 2. And he, he preaches a sermon that essentially says Jesus is the Messiah. That you crucified him, you put him to death, but God's actually using that to save us, to, to, to bring us to him. And the people hear this and they go, okay, what do we do with this? They, they believe. And then Peter, he says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so there's an important word there in those verses, the gift. Like if you write in your Bible what, or you're using your phone, like I, I double tap that one, highlight it, underline it, circle it, that the Holy Spirit is a gift. And, and he's a gift given to those who accept Jesus Christ in faith. The Spirit helps to sanctify us. He cleanses us from within. He gives us a tender, responsive heart to God. The Holy Spirit changes us to become more like Jesus so that as we cooperate with the Spirit, we become increasing, increasingly more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. The Holy Spirit transforms you into the person that God wants you to be, a person who reflects his righteousness, his goodness, his glory to the world. He gives you spiritual gifts, and he empowers you for ministry and says, go make a difference in this world. Make a difference by sharing Jesus Christ through your gifts. And like for us, we, we, we can hear like uh, the Holy Spirit, and it becomes like old news, and we hear the Holy Spirit resides within us, and we don't think much of it. But like consider this, like it's no small thing that the, the God of the universe, the creator of it all, would choose to reside within us. Like again, we, we go like kind of old news, but like the Old Testament prophets and Israel longed for this kind of intimacy with God, this type of relationship, because you know what happened if they got too close to God? They'd get struck down. They'd be killed because they were sinners, and sinners can't come into the presence of a righteous God. But Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, he forgives our sin, and this, since we're justified, it is possible for us to be in this intimate relationship with God, that God can live inside of us. And so this is why Jesus, at the end of the Great Commission, he tells his disciples, I am surely with you always to the end of the age, because the Spirit is with us. And when John the Baptist shows up, the voice of prophecy is heard again in Israel. And that spiritual drought that lasted 400 years came to an end. And John was simply preparing people for Jesus' advent. And if you're going, what does advent mean? It simply means arrival or coming. In Advent, we, we use this time to remember that Jesus came as the long-awaited, the promised Messiah who would save us from our sins. But what we need to realize also is this, that there is another Advent coming. Jesus is going to return to fully establish his kingdom, to judge his enemies, and to reward the faithful. And it's at that time that we will be with God forever. And you've, you've probably been busy the last little while getting ready for Christmas. You've bought the gifts, or if you're men, you're going to buy the gifts. You've been maybe baking, planning the menu. You've, you've, you've put up the decorations, and you're prepared to celebrate when Jesus came. 
But my question is this, are you actually ready for when he comes again? Have you prepared your heart for that time? God announces his plans in advance so that we might be aware of their importance and we might prepare ourselves accordingly. And as the people listened to John, God was working in the people's hearts. He was calling them back to himself. Maybe God has been working on you this past year, last little while. He's calling you to turn back to him. He's been working in your heart, saying, I want you to come to me. He wants to see that spiritual drought that's been taking place in your life come to an end. And here's why Jesus came. He came to prepare us for when he comes again. And so if you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if if you can't stand with confidence knowing what answer you're going to give when you stand before God as to why you, you, you deserve his favor, why you will enter into his kingdom, you're not really ready. The answer we will have is it's all about Jesus. It's what Jesus has done for us. So we'd encourage you, we'd invite you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you haven't done that before. You can, you can stop by the Welcome Center on your way out and fill out a Connect card. You can speak to myself or, or to Greg. Or if you're online, you can fill out a Connect card there, just letting us know that that is something you'd like to do.